genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. So you need to be a lot more intentional about how you create that culture and it needs to be actions, actual physical things need to, things need to happen rather than kind of saying, oh, this is what we need to do. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne, I'm a business psychologist. My name is Al and I am a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. Welcome back, welcome back. Welcome. If, if you're on uh, YouTube and you're watching on YouTube, this Hi. is us. Hello. <laughs> this is our third video we're doing on YouTube. We're still learning loads, so uh, we're not quite, we've not quite got all the colour grading and all the fancy stuff that we watch YouTube videos on and don't really understand. Not got that quite right, but um, we're, we're giving it a go, aren't we? We are giving it a go, and actually we need to tap into our, uh, our HubSpot network buddies. Uh, if you didn't know, HubSpot have recently just taken on their first cohort of YouTube creators mm. for their YouTube network, which is quite exciting. So we probably need to... Uh, I need to, yeah, get in touch with some of our new YouTube fam and, and get some tips out, right? Yeah, good thinking. Good thinking. Talking of tips, I'm so bad at segues. Talking of tips, <laughs> we are we are talking to an amazing guy today, Bernard Brogan. Bernard Brogan not only is possibly the most auditory and visually attractive man in the world because he's from Dublin, got an amazing accent, amazing voice, but also he is just an incredible all-round guy. Now, the background to Bernard is he's an ex-GAA football player, which, as far as I can work out, that seems to be like the Premier League, but for Gaelic football, I think. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, sounds right. One thing I didn't understand, though, was that even though they are kind of professional, I'm putting that professional, because they don't get paid. He was still an accountant at the time. I mean, I'm I'm not surprised that Bernard was the kind of guy that could spin more than one player once and be incredibly successful at... Uh, both aspects. So yeah, I'm I'm surprised that it isn't paid. I'm not surprised that Bernard made it work. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Now, Bernard's got Pep Talk, which is a company which is growing, and we'll go into that in a second. But the focus of this episode is going to be around sort of mainly psychological safety, how to build teams, and the crossover between sports teams and teams at work. Leah, we last spoke, I think it was episode 15, to Stefan Wiedner. That was the first time I'd heard the term psychological safety. I honestly had never heard it before. Now, obviously, I think I hear it every single week because it's something which most guests bring up. For those people who've not heard of it, can you just give us like a 15, 20 second intro to what it is and maybe an example of why it's important? Yeah, psychological safety is a shared belief amongst people in the workforce that they can express their ideas, their opinions, their views, their feedback without fear of any negative consequences such as being embarrassed or threatened or harassed, even mocked. Um, So psychological safety is the term that describes um, the environment um, and the climate within that environment that's been created to help people feel safe in expressing themselves. Psychological safety is really, really important in organisations. It leads to typically high levels of creativity, innovation, ideation, which is kind of intuitive, I guess. Uh, But commercially, all of those things link to higher employee engagement. Um, They link to higher productivity, faster speed to market. Um, Typically, organisations that um, enjoy high levels of psychological safety will generate more revenue. They'll be more profitable. They'll have happy customers. Um, It's a pretty, as, as, as things go, as stuffs go in the culture world, it's a fairly fundamental thing to get right. Fabulous. So if you're interested in that, then go back to episode 15, which is Stefan Wiedner. Um, I will link to it in, well, I won't because the end does the show notes, but it'll be in the show notes. Uh, but uh, it's definitely a good episode to learn more about psychological safety. Before we go and meet the man with the smoothest voice in uh, corporate well-being, it's our favourite time of the week. It's the news round. Thank you, the jingle. So what have you got today, Liam? I have a word of the week. Word of the week alert. I I'm just want to say at this point as well, if you, I'm, I'm trying to look at you, but if I look there slightly, it's because I'm looking at Al and I want to see his reaction because sometimes it's funny in these bits. My word of the week, Al. Tribrid. Hell. Tribrid. Guesses. Yeah, I'm guessing it's come from hybrid and it's probably... How, I'm, I'm going to guess that it is... You might... Try a hybrid working week at work, but it's just like a pilot you can roll back. Oh, that's a that's a very good guess, but it's it's not it's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> it's um, not on the board. It's not. I'm afraid it's not on the board. Uh-uh. Um, but a good a good effort. Um, tribrid. So tribrid is a term that I came across just this week, uh, given by RGA Research to define people who split their working time between the office home and various co-working spaces or cafes. So basically what they're saying is workers like the connectivity and connection of in-person working. I would also say that and, and, and there's no data, but my psychology brain would imagine that it's maybe there may be more extroverts that enjoy uh, the, the co-working in spaces that are their office. Um, so basically they like the in-person working, but they don't necessarily want to travel all the way into the office or have the um, interruptions from colleagues. So this gives them, um, yeah, basically what tribrid is. And of course as well, cost of living crisis, it may mean that we get well lit, nicely heated or indeed chilled spaces uh, with reliable Wi-Fi. That is what tribrid is. People who work from home, the office, or various co-working spaces, call me crazy, Al. I'm not sure this is a term that we needed. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I remember, though, having said that, when I used to work at home, I used to sometimes go to restaurants or bars, not restaurants, but bars or pubs, 
to work because I felt like I needed the the people around me. That said, that's changed since uh, since the pandemic. I'm much happier just sitting. In fact, I'm much happiest not seeing meeting anyone apart from Leanne <laughs> on a daily basis. And I think that is your little extroversion brain that maybe was uh, kicking in there, wanting to be amidst the buzz. So I was a tribe wanker. Well, you didn't have... Oh, no, you did have an office. Yes, you were. Yeah. I was a tribid, <laughs> tribid twat. Anyway, so what else you got, Leah? I have another um, business, a scandal, scandal for <laughs> you. You may have heard um, PwC Australia got themselves into a bit of a, a tricky situation. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. So PwC Australia, Price Woodhouse Cooper, as I previously known, um, basically the headline is a number of senior partners at the firm used confidential government advice uh, that they gained from various clients and contacts to drum up work from multinational companies to help them pay less tax. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, not the most ethical or even perhaps legal thing to do. Um, so PwC were forced to issue a public apology and stand down nine partners pending the results of its investigation. Since then, an anonymous, anonymous, that's a hard word to say. Anonymous. An anonymous group um, of employees have formed their own committee. Um, it's got a kutchy, kutchy, it's car, kutch. Probably don't. Tell me, do you know what America, do you know what that kutch means? No? Anyway. Welsh. Catchy, a catchy um, name for that committee. The Committee to Restore Trust in PwC through Transparency and Accountability. That's um, accountants for you naming <laughs> things, isn't it? So they have stepped up calls for radical reforms within the business and also raised doubts at the independence of the internal investigation. A good example here of a lack of psychological safety with this group giving that feedback anonymously. So, you know, it sounds like there's been a bit, there's been a bit of scandal and now even in the investigation, there's a bit of potential scandal there. It will be interesting to see what happens if there's any professional sanctions, criminal charges that do come but um what is for sure is the pw pwc brand as a whole are not willing to take the hit having already sold that australian government advisory business the source of the publicity problem for one australian dollar to allegro funds wow yeah what else you got leah Moving on from anonymous to infamous, TikTok is a goldmine when it comes to understanding the latest workplace trends of our dear, dear, and very much loved from me personally, uh, Jen Zedders, uh, my absolute favorite generation without a doubt. So this episode of uh, News Roundup, Al, I thought I would add a little segment called, segment called TikTok Tales. Oh man, I love it. The alliteration is just, it's just getting me a little bit aroused? I don't know why I said that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I must admit this feature is inspired uh, by the Tony and Ryan podcast, which is a very funny, also Australian podcast um, that put a lot of stuff on YouTube shorts and on TikTok. And on TikTok. TikTok. Um, and also I came across a creator um, called Kayla Avery, um, who is also making a bit of a name for herself for this type of thing on the talk. Basically, it's all about corporate talk. So it's basically, you know, things like we're going to put a pin in it, circle back, run it up the flagpole, we'll whiteboard it ahead of the, the huddle on Friday. Just reaching out. Just reaching out. Circling back. 
circling back. Um, but yeah, but these creators are basically exposing the passive aggressive nature of some corporate talk that we all understand and we use to passively aggressively maybe school our bosses, our colleagues, uh, or even our employees. So Al, I'm going to read you some corporate talk and I would like you to see if you can translate it into real chat for me. Bear in mind, I've never worked in corporate, so um, this is going to be fun. If Go you, on. If you sent an email, you'll know. Okay, so corporate joke number one, as per my last email. Why the fuck haven't you done it already? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, number two, as you're aware. You should be aware because I've told you what, at <laughs> least three times. I've attached another copy for your convenience. You're a fucking idiot because you've lost the last one. <laughs> you are nailing these. Um, sorry if I was unclear. Sorry if you are an idiot and you misunderstood. <laughs> I'm sorry you're an idiot, basically, it covers that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if you can't understand this very simple thing that I'm trying to explain to you. Um, just a friendly reminder. This is the ninth time I've told you, Kate. Get your ass in gear. <laughs> oh, Kate. Um, I, I recall that quite differently. You're lying. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it more simply... <laughs> I, I go back, I circle back to my previous <laughs> one. You're an idiot and you and you need something really simple to understand, which is why I'm making it more simple for you. Oh dear. And the last one, this outcome is not a surprise to me. I knew this all along and I told you this was going to go tits up. I told you this was going to happen. Yeah. And now it does. I want no nothing more <laughs> to do with it. I'm washing my hands of you. Um, yeah, isn't it amazing? Like you said, you've not really worked in, well, neither of us have worked in corporate and um, you've not really worked <laughs> in an office environment. And yet we all understand corporate talk, office politics. It is it is brilliant. Maybe a game for you. Feel free to take those um, those little statements there. Maybe play a bit of a corp talk bingo this week. Corp talk bingo. Yeah, if you, if you get a full house, let us know. We'll get a prize. And don't be trying to register that because we're going to register that as soon as we've come off this. We're going to register corptalkbingo.com and we're going to have the trademark and everything. We're going to, it's going to be a great game. Oh, I, I love that. I love that, Leah. That was one of my favorite bits of the <laughs> news roundup. So, shall we go on to the main segment? Or have we got anything else? No, I'm done. Brilliant. Loved it. So, Bernard Brogan, ex GAA footballer, ex accountant. Uh, now co-founder of Pep Talk. Well, why am I introducing him? Let's get him introduce himself. My name is Bernard Brogan. Um, I am more known for my Gaelic football exploits uh, for Dublin GEA. We won seven Sam Maguire's or premierships, uh, as as you might call them in the U in the UK. Um, and I'm a co-founder of Pep Talk, which is an employee culture uh, and employee engagement platform. There's something about the Irish accent. And maybe it's because I come from an Irish family, but it's just it just feels like home, doesn't it? It's like a hug, hug through the years. It's a cutch. <laughs> so, Pep Talk is a pretty impressive company. These are just some really quick stats for you. So, James and Bernard Brogan were the founders, the co-founders. They're both cousins. Um, I think it's probably difficult to live in Ireland and not be cousins somehow. Uh, it started in 2017, uh, raised over 1.2 million euros in 2021. Uh, then they increased the team to about 25 more people and also won the contract with the likes of PayPal. Impressive. Further 36 million USD in investment to expand to the US. Now, I believe they've got four offices in the US um, all fancy, fancy addresses on them. And then recently, last year, there were Deloitte, Deloitte's Technology Fast 50 winner. They were number 33, I think they were, which is a pretty impressive, 
price. So the whole point of pep talk is it exists to improve safety, reduce risk, increase retention, and reduce absenteeism. So how does it do it? Very simply, it just measures, provides insights, and suggests actions. If you look at their website, those are the three key tenets of the actual company. And they do it via an app, uh, which uses a combination of surveys, check-ins, early warning systems, all based on psychological science. I asked Bernard to give us that higher level version of what Pep Talk does. Well, basically, we surface back really simple, frictionless uh, pulses that take two seconds because people, it's hard to get people to do anything, as you know, but we want to give them value straight away. So we're giving them relevant interventions for themselves and for their teams and then helping people managers. You're a good salesperson, you become a sales manager. You're a good tech person, you become a tech manager. It doesn't mean you have the skills to be an effective leader. So we tool up your people managers to have the skill sets, to have a hard conversation, feedback, uh, a performance review, uh, communication, clarity of your role. These things are just hard to do as leaders. Uh, we just help that those be a crutch for your for your teams at scale across an organization. So what Pep Talk are basically doing now, just to make sure you understand, it's like a an employee insight survey, but pulse meaning just maybe a couple of questions sent out much more frequently than an in-depth survey. And they use that to create general markers for managers on how people are thinking, feeling, performing. Is that about right? I think you've pretty much nailed it. Cool. Um, you, the reason why Leanne's outlining that, it will become clear a bit later on because we do have an app that's fairly similar. We're not in competition with Bernard um, and we'll explain a bit more about that later on. It's interesting that that Bernard talks about how his experience as a high performer in sports has kind of shaped his his vision for the company. And it's something we hear a lot, a lot about in psychology. We have heard from... Um, last week's episode, um, Kate Goodyear from Lango Rock, who worked with the uh, Team GB. I think we've had people in the past as well who have been athletes or or trained athletes, athletes. And I think it is this understandable crossover that the psychology uh, that is needed to engage people in very high pressured environments to perform well is not going to be too different from the psychology we need to do the same for employees in equally high pressured environment. So it is really interesting to hear how this has shaped his vision for the company. But what did Bernard see in sport that he knew could be applied to the workforce? It was it was it was a story around um the sense of team and 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 Pep Talks um, real USP is about focusing on the team and the manager. The two conduits the culture that why you want to stay, why you want to why you want to go through the wall for each other. I had it in sport where left and right of me I had my colleagues, my my friends, my teammates that we'd go to go to war together. And we would do whatever we could to help each other out and try and get over the line. Bernard credits his old manager, Pat McElroy, for his enthusiasm for not only sports, but also just for generally business and entrepreneurship and, and really just making your vision come alive. I asked him a bit more about this story about Pat. In my sporting career, uh, I had a great leader, Pat Gilroy, um, who asked a lot of hard questions of me. Um, he, was a, he was a great business person. He'd bought, bought and sold a couple of businesses and he, he knew how to deal with people. He put his he put his arm around some and he kicked some in the ass, which which I was one of them. And some people react, as you know, differently to, to, to feedback and to motivation. And he just made me, gave me real clarity about effective leadership, about how to bring people on a journey. Uh, and he felt there was more in me as a, as, as a sports person. And he pushed me and pushed me and pushed me for about 18 months. I ended up becoming player of the year uh, in, in our sport in GEA. The following year, we turned a corner as a team. Uh, not that it was down to me, but he did the same for obviously 
the whole group. Um, but you felt it was just a sole focus on yourself. Um, I mean, that was the during start of, the, of our seven, seven All-Irelands, they say, in 2011. He, he kind of really uh, brought us together. We talk a lot about leadership on the podcast and we have had some phenomenal guests in, in the past talk about leadership. I think what Bernard's just done there is really kind of made the point that leadership is not about hierarchy. Yes, there may be a bit of arse kicking from time to time, but it's more about creating this shared belief, this shared vision, this shared sense of belonging, you know, to use Bernard's phrase, to go to go to war with each other. You know, that's that's hard loyalty. Um, so I think it really just shows that whatever industry or or world you're talking about, leadership is really, really important. And that's which is why I think for any leader listening, it's so important for you to invest in your own development as much as the development is your own team, because you are, you know, you are this figurehead that can can really serve as a source of inspiration and performance, um, or you can be, you know, the, the point at which it, it, it never gets off the ground in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, as you alluded to before, we've had at least three or four people on the podcast who have been in the sports world, have now gone into business, um, and they just, they, almost all of them cite someone like this. I remember Kyle Denhoff in, I think, episode 23 um, was talking about a great manager and that's what made made him the, a great athlete. Um, he's This is Kyle from HubSpot. Um, a great athlete and then on to why he's such a great manager these, these, these days, although not his words, but I spoke to his colleagues and apparently he's fantastic. And I think it, it is a really good kind of an analogy to, to use or, or world to to look at and and kind of, you know, draw similarities from. If we think about, you know, like in the UK, football or soccer, you know, one of the greatest managers, football managers of all time, as much as it pains me to say it, was Sir Alex Ferguson of Manchester United. Um, I think he was managed, what, 19, 20 years, maybe longer. Uh, won them as many Premier League titles, FA Cups, League Cups, European Championships. They dominated but you've got to think, you know, of that span of 20 years, particularly in the world of sport where a career, if you're lucky, might last, what, 15 years? There would have been so much turnover within that team, whether naturally or otherwise over time. The constant was Alex Ferguson and that philosophy and mentality and expectation and vision. You know, as a leader, you are the constant. Whether people are coming and going is kind of irrelevant because you're you're the person setting the tone. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. So I asked Bernard a little bit more about the psychology behind both athletes and entrepreneurs. I think probably high-performance sport gives you, you obviously have to be driven. You have to, why I became a high-performance individual in, in my sport was because I wanted it more than other people. I, I, I trained harder. I did the extras on my own in the backfield, kicking points. I was a free taker. I was, I was a striker. So I practiced and practiced and practiced. I wasn't as naturally skilled as, as other people. So I worked harder at it and that's a similar thing for me for entrepreneurs or for, for people as you're saying in, in, in coming from sport into into business. They just have a mentality maybe to just work harder at things or to be ambitious or to, to not ask like work a trait of, of high performance and um, people I feel is curiosity and pushing yourself. It's not being happy in your comfort zone. Always pushing yourself out there. Sometimes I tell myself, why don't you just stay in your comfort zone? It's a lot easier. But I think that's what we all need. Uh, and that's what we surf we search for in sport. And and some people get there, some people don't. But I think that's an attribute that an entrepreneurism or people in business that have came from sport will do well because they have that go go get it attitude and will and will work hard at it and won't 
accept um, mediocrity, I suppose. Yeah, the psychology of entrepreneurs is, is really interesting and particularly in terms of innovation, risk-taking, pushing yourself, being very comfortable outside of your comfort zone. It's all things that definitely we'll see in the personality profiles of entrepreneurs and in and in high-performance athletes as well. My word of caution would be, and I think Bernard is is mentioned it there as well is that you know it's practice 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 I wasn't naturally as skilled as other people and I think that's the case for any entrepreneur that is in a growing business that has perhaps now got this brand new people element that they've not had previously and may not quite have the same innate strengths to to deal with as we've mentioned before you know people don't necessarily want a lot of change and disruption once an organization gets to a certain size your CFO certainly doesn't want you taking lots of risks all the time or you know keep going in in the pursuit of of um of growth alone and that's what we saw with with tech recently and all the layoffs you know pursuing that that high growth model can have its its dangers so I think there is an element there of the practice 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 may also be around kind of the more leadership behaviors and competencies you need to nurture as an entrepreneur in a growing business yeah, absolutely. And just because you start running, you're not going to be Usain Bolt within a year. It's just be, don't be so hard on yourself. The fact that you've now grown your team from five to 25, you're still learning as well about how to manage a team. Now, one thing that has come out through over and over and again in almost every single one of these episodes is that just because you like read a book about culture doesn't mean that then you're going to have a culture. Culture needs to be intentional. There's a saying you always say, you know, I always misquote it because I can't remember exactly what it is, but something about culture is, do you remember it? Yeah, the, the fact is you have, a, you have a culture, whether you want to or whether you know what it is or not. You have a culture, if you have people within your organization, you have a culture, um, which is why it's, it makes me smile perhaps when people will say, oh, you know, we're doing... Um, you know, a big culture project that's going to, you know, transform our culture, yet they don't quite have a clear understanding of exactly where their culture is now, which is why, you know, tools like Pep Talk and, and others are so important at understanding your starting point. So you can then go down that, that route of transformation. But yeah, whether you like it or not, you have a culture. Yeah. And I think what's really important is that your culture will probably change as you scale. Uh, the culture has almost certainly changed, your culture almost certainly, certainly changed with the pandemic, uh, with working from home, with hybrid work. So I think what, what's really cool is that Bernard is saying, regardless of what's happening in the external world, you still need to be intentional about your culture. I suppose the world of work has changed. People are a bit dispersed. There's a bit of hybrids, a bit of flexibility. So you need to be a lot more intentional about how you create that culture and it needs to be actions actual physical things need to things need to happen rather than kind of saying oh this is what we need to do so we're helping teams with those those tips and tricks and actions and habit change over over uh, over a period with organizations i learned a lot of this through my own experience and working with the team and the psychologists and the experts about how do we actually uh, take some of these lessons and give them in, give them through um through organizations and through um through through team cultures you want to create a culture where you look left and right to your colleagues you want friendships you want that team experience uh and it was just a story about that as i was i was a free taker i took the penalties i took the scores and probably got a lot of the, the, the glory um even though i didn't do probably a lot of the hard work on the pitch and it was about that selflessness about um obviously commerciality of uh, we're an amateur sport you don't get paid it's interesting how bernard mentions that he often got a lot of the credit and the glory for his role, but it was very much 
a team effort. And I think there are things that, of course, in the public eye, there will be specific people that are celebrating that's true in the sports world and the business world. It's why we all know names like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos. Um, but I think what's what's really interesting is what Bernard said is that he didn't necessarily see that as his individual success. It was that team success. And it is, again, comes back to, you know, that mission, whatever that that mission you need to deliver, whether it's it's winning a, um, a football game or securing a new client, there is going to be that one person that might be the one that gets it over the line. But the collective effort that has taken place to get to that point has to be recognized and internalized as a team and by every member of the team to feel that their contribution counts. The key thing I think as well that why we see these superstars in in sports that do really well is something around the, the superstar effect, which we talked about back in episode 30, 31, I think, um, you know, which is why you shouldn't always hire superstars necessarily. So the superstar effect basically means that, and this was, was um, coined from research in the sports um, arena. So, so Tiger Woods for a long time dominated as the best golf player on the world. And what psychologists observed is that when Tiger Woods was, was playing in a competition, rather than raising the, the game and performance of, of everybody else playing, it actually dragged down their performance below their usual average or unusual level of performance for various reasons where they felt intimidated. What's the point? Um, and this can carry through as well in, in business teams. And the difference between a superstar that will be effective in your team and a superstar that won't be effective is the ability of, of that superstar to be coached. And as we know, there is no successful sports person out there who isn't able to be coached. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips that's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So the other side of this, as Bernard suggests, is that you build a culture that centres around the team rather than the individual. We all know in, in the tech world, there's, there's hero engineers, there's obviously there's, there's big ego CEOs, etc. So there's a lot to some of that that maybe take, take the credit or take the limelight. Uh, a lot in the last while, it's been a tough time for tech, the tech world. So culture is a big thing to get around your people. Fundamentally, culture is about the values that you learn over time and 
as I said, the team, camaraderie, the friendships you have, communication, um, the legacy of the sport you play. So all these things all accumulate in high performance and we're trying to just pepper that through organisations and, uh, and they're doing a lot more in the UK now. One of the things that Bernard talked about a lot there was trust. And like when you've got a sports team, of course, that makes sense. Everyone needs to trust each other. But also, it's got a really big impact in teams, in organisations. It really does. And I think even more so now that we are seeing this, this hybrid working or tribrid working is that, you know, we haven't got that same, we haven't got eyes on our employees. We have to trust that they're, they're doing their work. And I think this is where a lot of the tension between em- employers and employees is coming from, is that employees feel they can be productive working at home and employers or, or leaders in particular feel that they're, they're losing control. Um, so I think trust is, is probably more relevant now, um, post-pandemic, than it ever has been. Bernard also believes that trust is essential to lower risk of accidents, to increase psychological safety, and just generally to make a team work. If you have trust from a manager and an organ and, and, and a team, that will reduce accidents. You'll be able to come to come forward with, with challenge. You're not going to try and bury problems. That is what high performance is, and we we try and layer that upstream piece of and and, and the word cultural safety, uh, psychological safety. The words that are coming out that we're trying to get after. So yeah, the psychological safety that we feel to then be able to trust um, our managers or trust that we can provide feedback without, you know, any fear of, of negative consequences can be down to our own well-being. It can be down to the performance. It can also potentially be down, you know, come down to life and death situations. I remember when we were talking to Stefan and he talked about the the work of Amy Edmondson, who's a pioneer in psychological safety. Um, and they used the example of research done in hospitals with nurses and how the health outcomes or the patient outcomes were much higher in hospitals, healthcare organizations with high levels of psychological safety. Because as a nurse, if I think there's a, there's a mistake that's been made in terms of the medication that's been given to a patient, if I don't have that psychological safety to share that with my my boss, which might be more than likely the consultant, uh, the medical doctor, uh, then I might not say anything. And that could seriously implicate uh, the health of of a person. It's the same when it comes to workplace health and safety. So yeah, I think it is true. And especially, as we've said, people that are working in in more isolated environments. We do a lot of work in the EHS and the psychological safety and looking after your teams those kind of deskless environments where people are out on sites or they're in a lab as a, as a pharmacy, a pharmaceutical um, organisation. They don't maybe sometimes get the, the HR supports or the, or the tools the HQ or the desk environment will get. So we really feel we can add a value there. And that's when we're really focused on the US as well around the EHS. Psychological safety is the upstream incidences, accidents, near misses is, 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 is the metric and the KPIs that organisation you are making sure that you have good relationships, that there's a, a, a sense of trust that you that, that is not, as you said, if it, was, if it was this culture of fear, which is sometimes construction, like as you say, healthcare, these industries where you're just told to do something off, you go and do it. That doesn't give you autonomy as an individual. So that, that, that doesn't give you a psychological safety. You're always in fear. You're kind of, you're afraid to give your opinion. You're afraid to ask questions. Psychological safety is an environment where I can ask questions, be them, be them simple or be them, be them really intelligent. But you're, you're, you're in an environment where you are, the, the group and the team and the organisation is going gonna, is gonna to grow because people are asking good questions. They're curious. They want to learn. They're motivated. They're showing up and they're energised. And that's fundamentally what, what you want from, from the high performance culture. Construction is a really interesting industry, I think, to to look at psychological safety, both in terms of of the impact potentially on our physical safety and on our mental health. 
Now, we, we spoke to Kate Goodyear last week, who is a child psychologist with Langer Rourke, and she talked a lot about, you know, the kind of the, you know, the, the macho culture that can can come about in a male-dominated work environment, you know, particularly on, on site. You know, for example, you may have times where perhaps your, you know, your colleagues are maybe messing around at a point that they shouldn't, or, you know, you notice that somebody is skipping a step in a, in a safety check, but you don't want to say anything. And it's not just the fear of repercussion against your manager, it can be the fear of repercussion amongst your colleagues as well. Um, so, you know, that's how we can see these ripple effects in terms of our physical safety. And I think in terms of, of construction as well, you know, as, as Kate was saying, you know, the suicide rate amongst the construction industry is really, you know, high. It's disproportionately high. Um, and that's often because of these male-dominated environments, very different social and psychological challenges that, that men face and don't feel as able to talk about them. Having this psychological safety with your manager, with your colleagues, um, you know, can help you go, do you know what? I'm not doing great at the moment. This is going on at home. This is what I'm experiencing psychologically. It's what I'm finding difficult. Um, and if we can have those conversations earlier, and as managers and as leaders, if we know what's going on earlier, uh, we can we can you know nip it in in the bud, or we can put steps in place to stop it from from escalating. I'm not sure there's anything worse as a manager to have. I guess one felt that you're your member of staff wasn't able to come and talk to you, but also that it's now escalated to a point that it's really difficult for you to, to manage, you know, manage that situation effectively, whether it be in terms of somebody's mental health or even in terms of, of kind of a performance management conversation, if these things have been continuously, you know, overlooked um, from, from a compliance perspective, an ethical perspective, whatever it is. So yeah, psychological safety may, as a term, seem a bit fluffy and nice to have. When you start to break it down and start to look at practical examples of how this plays out in the workforce, it really is a significant um, thing that we need to think about. We need to focus on not only for the performance of our business, but the literal, uh, you know, health and safety of our employees. If you've heard Leanne talk before, you'll know that she talks about data. She's fanatical about data. The, the idea is that you shouldn't be taking any kind of decision or do any kind of intervention unless you have got the data which backs it up. As per my previous podcast episode, I have mentioned the importance of data before. Yes, absolutely. So, you know what Leanne thinks about data. Some organisations think, oh, well, that's great. We'll run a survey. We'll stick it in a really fancy, um, like, PowerPoint presentation, send it to the board or stand up in front of the board and bosh, job done. Of course, that is not the case. Collecting data is the first part of this. Then you've got to look and see what else you do with it. So Pep Talk of three sort of fundamentals, which is measure, insights, actions. And the idea is that you measure great, of course, yes, you might have some surveys and some apps in place, but are they producing insights that you can act on? And are you actually taking actions on those? Bernard explains it's not just a tick box exercise. I just think there's so much that the world of work can get from those high-performing cultures and the values and layers that we brought in over time. And you'll all know, I see some of the stands here today, like if you're if this is a box ticking um, well-being tool, this isn't the stand for you. Like I thought it was lovely one of the, one of the stands beside us. And that's like... There's loads of box ticking stuff you can do for culture and well-being and, and they'll live there at the side or you can try and actually enact change management and try and actually make a difference and that's what PepDog are trying to do. It's, it's not easy because you have to engage your people managers, you have to engage your teams, you have to do things, you have to have a team talk once a month, you have to do these things that create trust. You can't just like, there's no silver bullet to this, you know what I mean? And 
good organizations have leaders who naturally do that because they're just natural born leaders or they want to build a culture. The key for what we do is there's an action to it. Like there's loads of survey tools out there to tell you what you already know. We, we You'll know yourself, there's a world of them, but very few of them provide the action, the relevant action to actually solve something. And that's what's really given us energy in, in our clients. And, and we have to work at it and it's hard and we're, and we're building. Um, but that's really the, our USP uh, and that's where we're, we're getting our joy. I love that so much. Measure, insights, action. And I think it's so important because yes, we can, we can, we can, anyone can run a survey and pull up the results. Insights, and often why we need experts like Bernard and his team or, or me or the psychologists is that you need to turn that data into insights. What does that actually mean? How is it all interconnected? And then the third point, action. If you don't intend to act on the feedback that your employees have given you, you're probably better doing nothing at all because any any trust or morale that you've built in asking people their opinion and people have put themselves in their, you know, their vulnerable situation, assume they have this psychological safety. If you're not then using that data to make any change within the business, then that's just, you know, what's the point? That's a that's a real, a real drain on our morale and on our feeling of, of psychological safety. As Al mentioned earlier, we, we have our own, uh, you know, culture tool called the RX7. And it is this hybrid of culture and engagement um, and well-being, much like Pep Talk, but we're not a direct competitor. We work with much smaller organizations, uh, typically under 100 people. And one of the things that, that we'll always make sure that we do is, is kind of pull out these equations for clients. So, you know, if you've scored really, you know, if you've scored low on resources, which means probably typically people will have high workloads and not necessarily the skills or training to do their roles they're scoring low on resilience they're feeling a bit low on energy on positivity and optimism and then you're scoring very high on extra role effort so people are going above and beyond and putting in the extra hours that low resources plus low resilience plus high extra effort is more than likely going to result in burnout because you've got people who don't have the resources or the the psychological capital to keep going but they're still you know working um, above and beyond. So what, that's what we mean by we can take the data. So how we've scored on resources, how we've scored on resilience, how we've scored on extra effort. They're the data points. The insight is that those, those three things combined are predictive of a potential burnout problem later down the line. Absolutely. And as Leanne says, the RX7 is perfect for you for like three, but roughly 30 to 300 employees. That's sort of our sweet spot. I asked Bernard what the sweet spot for Pep Talk was. Yeah, well, the sweet spot is anywhere from over 100 or 200 up to a couple of thousand. We work with it with, with AAB Bank in Ireland, there are 12,000 people. We work with PayPal, which is another 15,000 people across uh, uh, Asia, US and Europe. So regardless of, of who you use or what tool you use, Please don't just rely on the technology to fix everything. We're talking about people here. You know, a piece of software or artificial intelligence is never going to be able to replace these honest, authentic conversations, especially when you are scaling your teams. But as you scale and you lose proximity of the people, once you go over 100 people, you start not being able to see everyone and knowing, everyone name, knowing, knowing everyone's name. And now flexibility and, and hybrid has made it even worse again. So there's the need for not just a need for, for tech, obviously technology allows us to do a lot, lot more at scale, but just that that nudging towards the, the behaviours that are traditional in nature, that are having a conversation more about you as an individual. What are you into? How can I help you get after your goals? How can we as a team have more better communication? How can we support each other more? Like they're just human conversations and that's what's been left out. It's like, how's the weather? 
to do it on the weekend, okay, now onto Q, onto KPIs and OKRs and, and, and sales numbers. So, I mean, that's that's the superficial, what's happening. Um, and we need to go with that level deeper. And that's what we're trying to unpick in, in organizations. One of the questions I get asked a lot from business owners is how how frequently do I need to do this? How much is too much? If I do a survey every 12 months, maybe a pulse check every now and again, does that mean that I'm cool? I know how my people think and feel. I've got the data points I can crack on. Or is it actually better to not do any of that and just have conversations because my organization is small enough that I can have a conversation with every member of my staff regularly? Should I just do that? And the answer is always, it depends and probably both. What we're talking about here from a science perspective is we're talking about quantitative data. So the, the numbers that we can, you know, push through fancy, fancy tools and statistics. And we're talking about qualitative data. Again, the statistical analysis in that, but it's a much richer data point. And I think the point is to have a real holistic view of your organization and understanding of how your people are thinking, feeling, and behaving at work, you need both. My advice would always be a comprehensive employee engagement culture check survey every 12 months, pulse checks at least every six months. But as we've heard from Pep Talk, we can do it much more frequently as long as we're just asking a few questions at a time. And in terms of, of the face-to-face conversations or the the um you know, the the person-to-person conversation, even person-to-team conversations, they need to happen as well. Even if you're you're using pep talk and you're getting this, you know, consistent monthly insights, that doesn't replace the importance of you having conversations with members of your team because it is that human-to-human interaction and connection that's going to help us build trust, help us build psychological safety. And ultimately, we need that psychological safety so our people will answer these surveys uh, honestly um, to give us that feedback we need to know where to make the changes. So it's almost like this chicken and egg continuous loop of a situation. We need to to be person to person, human to human, to build the relationships that foster psychological safety for us to then get the the authentic data and insights we need in our in our surveys and our quantitative data to drive change. As you can probably tell from the way Bernard talks, the enthusiasm he's got for this project is kind of infectious. So I said, what is next for Pep Talk? It is, it's all consuming and it's, and it's about, again, team and we have a co-founder, James, uh, my cousin, family, we're, we're onto each other all the time and it's just that journey and, and all, all of the rest of our colleagues. Um, it's just trying to achieve something that hasn't been done before and we're doing it a bit differently and it's hard, um, but the rewards, uh, self-fulfilling rewards, obviously it'd, it'd be great in time if we, if we ever got the, the, the financial rewards, but the, self, the self-fulfilling fulfillment of being able to build something, to, to do a good job, to, to grow a business, to provide employment, all the type of stuff um, is really, really what uh, turns me on, as you say. So let me take the pressure off you for a second and let's just sum up where we're up to today. We've had a lot of things, but we think we can sum up into really three sort of key areas that you need to take action in. So the first one is you need to do some kind of audit to get that data, to measure it. Uh, whether you use Pep Talk, whether you use RX7, uh, whether you use HiBob, whether whatever com- whatever you use, just ensure that what you're using actually will measure the right thing and also will return the insights you want. It's using a Google form or something or a Google form to do some kind of engagement survey is next to useless because all it's going to do is give you a load of numbers. You really need someone who's going to be able to an app or someone who's going to be able to tell you what those numbers mean. So number one, do an audit. 
Couldn't agree more. Our data without the insights is completely useless. And of course, we hope that you, if you are an organization over 100, you do use Pep Talk. We hope that if you're an organization under 100, you do use us and the RX7. But the point is, and I know Bernard agrees on this, just use somebody. You know, just engage somebody to help you with this stuff because it is really important. And what that's going to help you to do is work towards psychological safety or even understand the level of psychological safety you already have within the organization. And I think it's being mindful as well that that could change over time with growth, with new employees joining, with, you know, older employees leaving, uh, an acquisition, um, a significant change within the business in terms of an influx of customers. It could be anything. These, these levels of psychological safety can shift. So you need to, to work on it consistently. You should always actively encourage your teams to speak up, to share their ideas, to give you feedback, to tell you where the roadblocks are and where the risks are. Um, and I think as a leader, you know, extending this idea in terms of psychological safety, I think, you know, an audit like this is one element. As we've said, those one-to-one conversations or human-to-human conversations are another element. And I think the third element as well, if you're really taking this seriously to foster this sense of psychological safety and work on your own development as a leader, 360 feedback tools are phenomenal. So that's when, as a leader, I will ask my staff to um, assess my performance. I'll ask my customers. I'll ask my, my peers. I'll ask my... Um, my manager. Um, I'm getting all of these different points um, to really understand how how you're performing, how I'm performing as a leader. So I think if you really want to take it to the next step, um, I'd, yeah, look at 360 tools. So number one is doing an audit. Number two is working towards a culture of psychological safety. Number three is simply turn your managers into coaches. We're not in the 80s anymore. Managers don't need braces and cups of tea and shouting at people. It's not like that anymore. The whole point is that once you've measured it, once you've got your insights, you need to take action. And generally, in most organizations, it can't be just one person. It needs to filter down to the line managers. And those are the people who need to have human-to-human conversations. They need to understand that their job is to help their employees achieve their goals. Because if the employees get what they want, the managers will get what they want. Mic drop moment there. Well, that was fabulous. I'm not dropping these mics. They're about 300 quid. <laughs> well, not this one. <laughs> okay, so that is everything I think. Is there anything that we've missed out, Leanne, that perhaps we should have talked about? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered all the main points there, highlighted Bernard's work and the amazing tool that Pep Talk is. I mean, come on, the names of people that are using it, you know, this is a high quality tool. We'll leave all of the links in the show notes, both to Pep Talk, uh, to Bernard um, and, and to us as well and the RX7 if you are interested in learning more about that. If you're under 100 people, I know you said up to 300 out, but I know at that point, I think Pep Talk might be a bit better, but... That's why I'm not the salesperson. That's it. I'm just I'm the sales and marketing guy, and so I'm always just like, oh, let's just uh, let's just expand our total addressable market just by sort of maybe about two hundred percent. But um, RX7 is currently in invite only mode. So if you are interested, then you just look at the show notes. You can send email send an email to Leanne or myself, and uh, we will assess your application and just see if it's suitable for you. Goodness, Leanne, that has been fantastic. And do you know what? I absolutely love the news roundup. I want more of these where we have to try and guess, or I have to try and guess what the things mean. I oh, do you like the, the corp talk? The corp talk. 
Do you know I what? I didn't, I, I knew what, obviously I knew we were doing Burning this week, but I usually just kind of look through my little, my little collection of things for, for the news roundup and just pick out the ones I feel like talking about. But I feel like actually I've, I've accidentally aligned them really quite well this week. Absolutely perfectly. Yeah. Brilliant. Mate. I didn't, I've only just now got the pep talk, corp talk connection. <laughs> well, I think let's, uh, let's pretend that this was all planned out it was perfectly. All intentional. It was whiteboarded. Um, and we but then we stuck a pin in it and we circled back to it a couple of weeks later that's enough say goodbye Leanne goodbye Leanne <laughs> bye see you next week bye